Welcome back to Crow and Fern's Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore, Mythology, and Everything in Between, where I, Fern, talk about folklore and mythology, and Crow talks about weird fiction. Butts. Well, at least you're being honest. I'll make an entire episode about weird butts. Ooh, no. You wait. <laughs> anyway, today we are going to talk about Fofrimos din Lacrima, part two. So we're going to finish up the episode. Otherwise known as... The super hot prince surrounded by other super hot princes, but he is the hottest. He is the hottest. Yeah, he is the hottest. And he was born from the tears of the Virgin Mary. He was. That's why it's called Fafrimos of the Tear. Or as it's sometimes translated that I do not like, Prince Charming of the Tear. The title doesn't work in English. It really doesn't. No, it it sounds so weird in English. But (laughs) that's okay, because I'm still going to call him Fafrimos instead of Prince Charming. Stop in our beautiful story. Fafrumos had just rescued the daughter of Muma Paduri. Well, I don't know if it's a rescue. He defeated Muma Paduri in an epic anime-style fight in the woods, then absconded with her daughter and ran through the rain. And then instead of going inside where it was dry and warm, they made a little nest of sweet grasses and cuddled in the sopping rain. <laughs> they had just got back to the emperor's palace and the emperor who is his best bro they are besties of the best nature looked happy to meet but for new fiance the emperor was like i'm happy for you but i'm also really sad and he had this like very i don't know emo moment stop making it about you oh my god he did he took that happy moment and he made it all about himself he took but away from his fiance over to the lake to watch a swan and acted like he wanted to say something but he wasn't gonna say because like he's oh playing games god. that way <laughs> i know i hate that i hate it when people do that i really do it's like if you have something to say say it no dude but you need the build up yeah you love it when i do build up no i don't you know i have to say everything is fine at least seven times and you have to keep asking i don't know if it's curiosity or just like or if it's more like i am one i'm okay away from punching for a crow <laughs> no i'm doing it in the face <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that does happen. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, this dude is also lying. He's not fine. That's right. He's not fine. And Fofrumos is like, wait a second. You're crying. Oh, no. He's like, Emperor, you okay, bro? <laughs> and the Emperor's like, no, bro. No, bro. <laughs> You're awesome, and I love you, even though we were sworn enemies at the beginning of this, but now you are best bro now, and I can never repay you, but I'm going to need you to do more. <laughs> And Fafrumos is like, name it, bro. What do you need, bro? I don't want to pronounce the name because I know I'm going to butcher it, but he's a true bro. Fafrumos, I think a lot of people mispronounce it fat frumos because it looks yeah, like I'm that. Yeah, I'm terrified of being like fat frumos. You make it sound so musical <laughs> the way you say frumos, and I'm like fat frumos. <laughs> There's an accent over the A, and so it's not actually... A, not that A says A ah in Romanian anyway, it's A. Uh. It's so A uh, fat frumos. Okay. The emperor was like, I should love life, but sometimes I think life is a little dumb. And it's because of a girl, bro. It's because of a girl. <laughs> I knew you'd like it if I said it that way. I, like, uh, I love life, but sometimes it can be. <laughs> oh my god. No, nothing you've ever said has ever hit home. <laughs> this extent oh my god okay so it's about a girl and he's like the hunter has this absolutely gorgeous daughter but the hunter is like super mean bro (laughs) and every time i've tried to snatch his daughter away yes he says snatch 
Like, well, the word he says actually is more like abduct. And I'm like, I hate this word. I hate this word. Every time they say it, and they say it a lot in this story, I'm like, use a different word. That that sounds so bad. But maybe he meant it to sound bad. I don't know. There's some insensitive dude shit going on in this story. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. The women are treated as like beautiful and delicate. Like in the previous scene, Fotformos's fiance, the woman in white who is going to get a face reveal soon. You know what? I'm going to spoil. I'm going to spoil it and tell who she is because he doesn't do a good job revealing it anyway. Don't. Don't spoil it. Tough shit. I'm spoiling it. I'm going to cover my ears. Her name is Iliana. Sunziana or Kosunziana. And if you were Romanian, you'd be like, oh, it's Iliana. Because this is a very famous figure in Romanian folklore. She's someone like Fatfrumos who is repeated but not meant to be the same person every time. So she's kind of like a type. But at the same time, you connect immediately to what you already know about this this character even though she may not be the exact same she is the embodiment of femininity she's often portrayed as like the goodest fairy of all the fairies sometimes she's a princess sometimes she's just a beautiful mate like what when i say maid i mean woman like how they may say maid in olden times like fair maiden that kind of one <laughs> that's what yes. i was talking about but she is also known as the queen of flowers and you know when he came across her and the house is beautiful white with a gorgeous flower garden instead of like the creepy hut that Muma Paduri usually lives in. It's because Iliana Kosenziana is there. She is all about the flowers and the femininity and, you know, the gentle, nurturing delicate touch and so I feel like they do take it a little too far in this story because she's so delicate and fragile that when things get scary and bad she passes out into this coma for like no medical reason you know (laughs) in true 1800s fashion yeah yeah no it's true I don't know it's very possible she had arsenic wallpaper like the rest of them who knows but yeah she she did kind of pass out (laughs) unexpectedly and inexplicably And she continues with a delicate, fragile femininity, which is a theme. It's a theme, unfortunately, and I kind of hate it. I'm going to be real honest. I kind of hate it. I want her to be a little bit more badass, but this is not a story about badass women. I'm going to, I'll find one soon before too long. It's a story about dude bros. Dude bros. (laughs) What I love about the story is not necessarily the personality of any of the characters. It's the way that they use culture and the way that they work in really common folk elements in Romanian mythology and it and I love how absurd this story is like there are so many points where what's written down just comes across and slaps you across the face and you're like oh my gosh did that really just happen and you like end up giggling until your dog looks at you weird you know <laughs> I also like like the way that Mihai Eminescu writes I think it's a fucking hilarious story. <laughs> and the elements and the, and the the absurdity of it all um, is beautiful. I love. It kind of counts as weird fiction. You know what? It's only going to get weirder. <laughs> See? Yeah. Okay. So let's get back into it. So we tangented real hard, but I, I feel like that was a relevant tangent. So I apologize for nothing. <laughs> I apologize for everything. Well, that's one of us. Anyway, so he's saying like he wants to abduct the hunter's daughter and the hunter won't let him and now he's really mad about it, which, you know, does not make him come across as a good person at all. But at the same time, like if we're talking about rulers at this time, that actually really does sound like something they would do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I do feel like Fotfrumos and this emperor, they kind of get some, like, toxic male energy. Like, when they're separated, they seem like they're more okay. At least Fotfrumos, we don't see the emperor on his own. But then they get together and they're like, yeah, of course I'll help you abduct this girl, for sure. <laughs> Fotfrumos is like, I would rather chill with my lady, but bros before hoes, definitely. And he didn't say those exact words, but he did say that exact sentiment. And so bro mode activates and he's like, I got you, bro. (laughs) I just can't with the story, fam. (laughs) 
This is why I love it. It's like, if you take it too seriously, there are parts where you're like, well, that's awful. But if you like laugh at it a little bit, it, it's kind of unintentionally hilarious. Although I will say, I do think that Eminescu had a sense of humor and some of this humor is self-aware humor. It's not all accidental humor, you know? Some okay. of it is mm-hmm. like, I'm going to throw something absolutely absurd at you and I know you're going to like giggle because it's crazy and that's what I want, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so this is when he finally reveals that it's not just some rando that Fatformos is gonna marry. It's Ileana Sanziana. So he goes to say goodbye to her. She tells him, she's like, Ileana's like, Fatformos, don't forget. As long as you're away, I'll keep on crying. And I don't know if that's a promise or a threat or what. It's both. (laughs) It's, It's both. She just like takes him by the cheeks and look at me in the eye for foremost i'm going to cry the whole time you're gone the whole time while i'm eating tears while i'm peeing tears, tears. still flowing <laughs> while i'm sleeping tears 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 i will wake up in a puddle on my pillow so that's what she says to him and he's like okay and okay. he takes off <laughs> yeah he comes to a place where there's a large emerald sea. I don't know why everything is emerald, but it is a large emerald sea. It's a place where the sea meets the end of a mountain chain. And in there, there's this huge granite boulder kind of between those two. And at the top of that huge, huge granite boulder, there is a citadel that is white and gleaming like every other freaking building in this story. <laughs> and that is the hunter's home where his daughter is currently at. And so, you know, Fofromos goes over, he climbs the big rock, he gets closer, and there are windows in the walls of this fortress as you look at it, and in one of the windows he sees a very beautiful maiden staring wistfully out the window at nothing in particular amid, like, a whole bunch of beautiful flower pots, you know, like, the perfect angelic image of this, like ideal kind-hearted woman and this is of course the hunter's daughter the woman that he is here to abduct (laughs) yes he's here to totally not do anything serious to Mm -hmm. he approaches and she sees him coming and so she goes down and she opens the gate for him and she goes welcome Fofromos and it's like where is the sign on his forehead that everyone is reading that I'm not seeing that everyone knows who he is before he gets there like why is this a theme (laughs) I, I, I mock it but I actually think it's hilarious like everyone's just like oh I know who you were the stars told me you were coming so of course I know your name obviously that sounds ridiculous but it's not this is actually what she's about to say she says last night i spoke to a star and the star told me that you were coming instead of the emperor who loves me who wants to abduct me because he's kind of stalkery honestly (laughs) i mean am i wrong (laughs) no you're not (laughs) he's like i can't abduct you my love so i'm sending my bro to abduct you in my abducts you instead so that i'm not the one doing the abducting like listen listen It sounded a lot better in my head. Oh, God. I mean, it was over 100 years ago. Feminism had not really gotten into, like, its full swing. Maybe people thought it was romantic, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I will say, like, it was a very, very different time. I don't think men really thought much about women's rights during that time. All over the world, it kind of feels like. Yes. I'm sure there are exceptions to that. I'm going to go ahead and end my rant there. So the hunter's daughter lets Fafromos into the citadel and they go into the great hall because this also has a great uh, hall and by the hearth sitting near the fire there is a cat with seven heads and this is a naturally a magic cat it was magic in that it was so loud that if one of its heads meowed you would be able to hear it a whole day's worth of journey away and when all seven meowed you could hear it like seven days worth of journey away so basically poe i literally wrote that in the script i was like like crow's cat whose meow can be heard around the world because he likes to comment on the stories that i tell while we're recording 
I'm sorry. He finds them exciting, okay? He's like, I, I also have something to say. So the cat there is going to be an issue. They know it's going to be an issue. But Fafrimos is like, I'm going to try it. I'm just going to try it. He literally snatches up the hunter's daughter. And he just makes a run for it. He hops on his horse. And they gallop away as fast as they possibly can. The cat does not like this. So the cat meows with one head. And the hunter who was hunting about a day's journey's worth away. It's like, oh shit. Here's the meow. Yeah, his horse actually hears the meow. And the horse is a magical horse. And so he perks up and he's like, hunter, a master. Some rando just snatched your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I, no matter how much I try, I can never predict how you're going to switch between 1800s talk and modern. He's like, hunter, master. I'm like, okay, someone just snatched up your daughter. <laughs> Here's the thing, like, I can't direct quote it. If I say it exactly how it is, I'm speaking Romanian at that point. You know? I, I love it so much. This is my favorite episode. So I, I have to I have to translate. Some rando grabbed your daughter. The, and, you know, the hunter was not happy about that, surprisingly. No. The hunter is like, well, that won't do. So he jumps on his magic horse. And because his horse is magic and can fly and go super fast and all of that, they they catch up to Fafrumos pretty quickly. And the hunter is bound by the goodness of his Christianity not to hurt Fafrumos. And he's like, you get one free daughter snatch with just a warning, but next time I'm going to kick your ass. This was your free daughter snatch pass. It's done. <laughs> it's been stamped. It's been stamped. Warning given. Don't try me again. Uh, and he grabs his daughter back and leaves. Fofromos does not learn from anything. Naturally. <laughs> and so he rode straight back to the Citadel. Mm. This time he's like, we're going to try something a little bit different, but not different enough to actually make a difference. <laughs> so he, <laughs> I know, right? okay. so okay. he goes to the hunter's stable and he grabs two fresh horses. So they're fresh instead of tired, like his horse, which apparently he's just oh. going to abandon at the Citadel. But this is a strategy that people use. So he grabbed the two fresh horses. He and the hunter's daughter get on the horse and they start to ride back as fast as they can. And, you know, that should be enough to outrun a magic horse, right? Yes. Well, <laughs> as they're riding, they hear the cat meow. Uh. And, of course, the magic horse also hears the cat meow. And this time, the hunter who is two days' journey worth away out hunting in the woods somewhere, his horse hears it there and his horse is like, listen, he did it again. <laughs> he, he did the thing. And it's a problem. <laughs> And the hunter's oh like, it God. is a problem. Let, let's go. So he jumps on his magic horse and they ride back as fast as they possibly can. And they catch up to him. Like, you know, the, the way they put it is like Fofrumos and the, the hunter's daughter are riding through the desert because there's a desert. And then all of a sudden they're enveloped in this huge cloud of dust as the hunter approaches on his horse. You know, the gallop is so powerful. And they look over and the hunter is there. He doesn't say anything. He's that kind of mad. He's gone nonverbal. <laughs> he grabs his daughter and he grabs Fofromos and he just chucks him into the sky and rides off. Now, oh Fofromos goes straight up into the clouds, right? Right up into the clouds. And he gets incinerated by the lightning up there in the clouds. And when I say incinerated, I am not joking around. I mean that he turns into ash, which falls back down to the earth. He dies. Yeah. He is dead. D-E-D. -E no that more fat for mouse. Yeah, I know. No. Fat for mouse. What happened? <laughs> the hunter told him not to try him. And he's like, you had to fuck around and find out. Well, now you found you out. you found out. And you're ash. You found and out the hard ashes. way, man. We all fall down. Ashes, ashes, we fall down. Oh my gosh. How did I not think of that? <laughs> oh god. Yes. So then what? Literally, yes. End of story. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. So thanks for listening. No, no, this is not where yes. it ends. So his ashes hit the ground and from the sand where they hit springs this huge river with green banks running right through the desert, right? He was trying to 
call out, but of course he's a river, so he really can't. But if you were walking by and you spoke river, you would hear Foot Foot almost crying out for his fiance Iliana. Mm-hmm. But alas, no one ever went out that far, and if they did, they didn't speak river. I can't really bring myself to feel sad for him. <laughs> He was trying to snatch a lady, so... Even though I really like him. I really like Foot for most, but, like... Yeah, and he's a little different depending on who's riding him, so he does vary from tail to tail, obviously. Okay. He is actually pretty entertaining, usually. Is he actually dead? Well, hang on, because the story's not over. Because you remember last time, in part one, I said, in part two, we'll have a surprise guest visit from... A person that everyone knows, everyone is going to recognize, but you're not going to guess. Okay. But now I'm going to let you guess anyway. Do you have any ideas? Give me a hint. At least one. I can't think of a hint that wouldn't just straight up give it away. Well, is it like a folklore personality? Is it like a person? Is it an animal? Okay. So your answer is you can't guess, and I'm just going to go ahead because (laughs) two people are walking through the desert at this point, and it's hot, and they see this river, and they come, and they sit, and they cool their feet in its waters, they drink, they rest in the shade of the trees that grow around it, and they are God and St. Peter. (laughs) Bruh. <laughs> That's what you meant. I Surprise. can't think of something that won't give it away. I'm like, why? Why? Who is it? Like, why would I know it's, anything about It's Romanian literally folk? God. It's literally God. Oh no. I always think this is interesting because, like, it would be a shame to try and say like folklore and Orthodox Christianity are two separate entities when they're kind of not. Like, when I did research for the Romanian vampire episode, one of my best resources for things like Moroi, for example, was the official Orthodox website for Romania. They had great pages on that. They had great information. They're like, if you come across a Moroi, yell out a baptism, give it a name, you'll be fine. (laughs) And so some of these remedies, like there's a tendency to think like that kind of stuff would be black magic. But but the truth is like these things mix in in weird ways. And, And so the fact that Orthodoxy is showing up as a main player in this folklore is really consistent with the way that Orthodox Christianity and folklore have sort of intermingled in, in the past. Anyway, since they had like refreshed themselves at the banks of the river, Peter was grateful and he, he turns to God and he's like, God, make this river what it was before. And God is like, okay. <laughs> he returns the river to Fatfromos and they're walking away and he doesn't even turn around to look and see what happened. And so Fatfromos turns back into himself. He's dazed, he's confused, he doesn't know what's going on. All he can do is see like these brilliant figures before him walking away from him. One is bright as the sun in the sky and the other just looks like a dude. Sorry, Peter. And he watches them until they get to the edge of the, the sea and they start walking across the water you know, as one does. And God is walking across the water and you can kind of see him, his brightness start to disappear over the horizon and he doesn't even look back. Peter, it said, gives into his human nature and he turns to glance back at Foot for almost just once. That's a little Bible reference. Crow, you wouldn't get it. (laughs) Okay. I can't sit with you guys. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. This is a Bible story where in a a storm, Jesus walks on the water and Peter's like, call to me so I can come walk on water with you. And and so Jesus does and... Peter goes and walks on the water, but he gets scared and he looks back and because he doubts and he fears and he doesn't trust, he starts to sink and Jesus has to go and save his ass. So the the fact that Peter is the one that looks back at Fatfromos for a second is kind of a little nod to a biblical story there. So Fatfromos sees them disappear over the horizon and suddenly an understanding of all of Christianity and the resurrection and everything relating to religion suddenly flowed into him and he knew and understood and believed with perfection and recognized the profoundness of his experience. 
So Fafrumos came back to himself, like waking up from a, a heavy dream, and suddenly things start coming back to him, and he remembers who he is and what he was doing, and he remembered his promise to the emperor, and he's like, I've got to fulfill my promise to the emperor. And so he immediately books it back to the citadel and enters the fortress, like he just barges in, I guess, which seems like a dumb plan, because what if the hunter was there? He will toss you into the stratosphere again. It literally took God himself to save you last time, Fafrumos. What the fuck are you thinking? I swear to God. He's already been here. He left, okay? Okay. So, he finds the hunter's daughter in tears, but as soon as she sees him, she stops crying. She's really happy because she thought there was no chance that she was going to be abducted, because I guess she's into that. At least it's consensual. And she's really happy, and she says, in order to defeat my father, you need a horse that's just like his. Like, if you want to beat a magic horse, you got to have a magic horse. She's like, you're going to need a magic horse to snatch me. That's how this works. (laughs) Okay, when you have to teach men how to abduct you. She's like, his horse has two hearts, and that's what makes it magic and powerful. Well, it's not all that makes it magic and powerful, but it, it helps a lot. I'll ask him tonight where he gets his horse so you can get one too, and until then, I'm gonna turn you into a flower so my dad won't know you're here. And she does. She she does this little magic kiss on the forehead, and he shrinks down into this brilliantly red flower. It's as red as a sour cherry. And she picks him up and puts him on the windowsill with all of the other potted flowers that she has there. And she's so happy that she starts to sing. Her father enters into the castle, and he hears her singing, and he's like, she was so sad when I left earlier today and all of a sudden she's happy and singing so he's like this is a little sus he's like are you happy daughter why are you so happy like i'm, I'm glad you're happy but i'm also questioning it <laughs> the hunter's daughter is like i'm so happy that that dumb fapfromos is gone and he can't abduct me anymore by the way where'd you get that magic horse of yours <laughs> that's called building a rapport before getting what you want from the person <laughs> <laughs> it's called manipulation <laughs> I love it. She is kind of a stronger woman than Ileana is portrayed to be in this story, I have to admit. She's still delicate and feminine, but she's not like, like, she's not passing out and appearing dead or anything like that. And the hunter is like, why do you want to know? He's suspicious. He's, he's kind of a tough customer. Uh, the rep- that means he didn't build it well enough of a rapport. It wasn't good. Maybe. Fail. And the hunter's daughter is like, just for my peace of mind, you know, just in case I'm, I need, I need one. to be worried about anyone else trying to abduct me with a magic horse or anything like that. And the hunter is like, you're so dear to me. I can't refuse you anything. I have to just give in to whatever you ask. So let me tell you what it is. And he goes, far away from here, near the sea, lives an old woman, a baba. Because mm. remember, baba in like... I swear, like all the Eastern European languages, but definitely in Romanian and other ones, it means old woman. And this is how she's referred to in the story. She, he's like, there lives a Baba who has seven horses. So over there, where she lives, she hires servants to come and care for the horses for a single year. But her year is only three days, so she really, really sucks at time. <laughs> So they have to care for these horses for a year, which is actually just three days. And if they do well, she lets them pick one of the horses for payment. If not, she kills them and she puts their head on a stake. Why is the year only three days? Who knows? I'm not sure exactly on that one why that would be the case, but it's not the only fairy tale to use that kind of thing. Logic, you know? okay. Mm-hmm. If they do a bad job taking care of the horses, she kills them and puts their head on a stake. And I'm not sure if that's like an intentional Vlad Sipish, you know, Vlad the Impaler reference, but if it is, like, kudos, Mihai, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Sometimes, even if they do well, she tries to cheat them by taking all of the hearts out of the horses and putting them into one single horse. It, she'll put it in the ugliest horse, basically. Most of the time, the servant leaves with a horse with no heart heart, which is worse than a normal horse. Like, it's more useless than the average horse. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. So then the hunter takes a thin red scented handkerchief and he passes it over his daughter's face. And after he does, her expression becomes blank like someone waking up from a dream. And she's confused. She had forgotten 
everything that he told her. Aww. But fought for most little flower in the flower pot remembered. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't like this dad. I don't like all the men in this. I know. There's a lot of toxic masculinity. And can can I just throw in there, what man has a magic handkerchief that makes a woman forget what just happened for like 15-20 minutes? Like, let's talk about how sus that is. <laughs> Uh, so the next day after her father leaves to go hunting, she turns Fatfrumos back into himself and sadly informs him that she has learned nothing about where her father got that horse. And he reassures her that even though she didn't learn anything, he sure did. And he has got to go take off immediately. So he jumps on his horse and he heads back off on his journey towards the sea, towards where this evil Baba lives. And as he's riding, he comes across a little mosquito struggling to cross the hot sand of the desert. And the mosquito is like, help me, Fafrumos. Again, how does everyone know his fucking name? Like, how does everyone just fucking know? Like, that's Fafrumos. Even the insects are starting in on this. Oh my god. <laughs> He's like, help me, Fafrumos. I'm the king of the mosquitoes, yeah. and I will reward your kindness. I know. Malaria. Right? I hate mosquitoes. Yeah. But Fafrumos takes mercy on him, and he scoops him up, and he rides with him to the edge of the forest where, you know, it's going to be cooler, and he's going to be able to find whatever he needs. And he sets him free there. And then he keeps on riding. Then as he's going, he passes through that forest and he hits another desert. I don't know why there are so many deserts, but there are a lot of deserts in this story. And they're not even the same deserts a lot of the time. <laughs> but he's passing through this desert. And as he's going, getting closer to the sea, he sees a crayfish. And the crayfish has wandered onto the desert, but is just far enough that he can't get back to the sea. And so he's like, help me, Fafrumos. Just toss me into the sea, please. I'm too weak to get there on my own. I'm the king of the crayfish, and if you help me, I'll reward your kindness someday. Okay. So Fafrumos is like, okay. He picks him up and he checks him into the sea, and the crayfish is like, cool, thanks, bro. I'll, I'll meet you one day. And Fafrumos goes on. And eventually he comes to this super disgusting, dilapidated, rundown hovel, absolutely covered in shit, <laughs> like in horse shit. Okay. It's, it's a mess, it's disgusting, it's gross, and it is not surrounded by a fence but instead there are seven posts around the perimeter and on six of the posts there is a head on the seventh post there is not it's swaying in the breeze shouting head 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 so that's reassuring <laughs> Oh, okay, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting to see where this goes. Well, you're not ready for where this goes. In fact, grab onto something. Are you ready? No. Too bad, here it comes. <laughs> on the porch, an old wrinkled hag lay on a worn winter's coat, her head in the lap of a beautiful servant who was picking lice out of her hair. <sighs> I know. It's it's gross. Okay. And I do want to say something about, like, they keep talking about laying down winter coats. There are these long white coats that people have. They're made out of lambskin. They're very thick. They're very warm. If you're a shepherd and you get caught in a blizzard, this is exactly what you would do. You lay down the coat and you sleep in there, possibly with your dog or whatever, and ride out the storm. It's like a little portable bed that you wear like a coat, <laughs> almost. Okay. Because we're going to start seeing this even more as people laying yes. down their coats and using that this is the kind of thing that they're referring to and they're very effective at keeping people warm but it, it's kind of nice because also if you just don't want to sit on the ground it's like having a little blanket like a picnic blanket that you can lay out and, and sit on too the baba sees mm -hmm. him and she's like what do you want have you come to look after my horses and Fafrumos is like yes no. <laughs> <laughs> funny you should ask that <laughs> <laughs> the Baba is like, well, you might as well start now then. Like, let's get going right away. She has her servant bring him something to eat. She's like, go take the horses out to, to graze. But they only graze at night. They have never seen the light of the day, and I don't want them to. Just take them out once it gets dark and let them graze and then take them back. And he's like, cool, cool, I can do that. So he finds this little cellar by the side of the hovel, and he goes in, and in there, there are seven beautiful black horses with shiny black coats all 
hanging out in the dark, kind of. <laughs> They're all as dark as night, and they neigh and stop their feet at the sight of him. Okay. He mounts one, and he rides it into the pasture, leading the others with him. He lets them graze, and as soon as he gets off to kind of watch while they graze, he feels really tired, and he tries to stay awake, but he can't, and the next thing he knows it's morning. But it's not like full light. It's like, you know, that kind of weird period of the morning where the sun is coming up and it's not yet fully bright. And he looks around him and he can't see the horses anywhere. And he immediately starts to freak out because, you know, he's pretty sure his head is going to end up on that seventh stake at this point. (laughs) Okay. Just when he thinks he's done fucked up beyond redemption, he sees all of the horses stampeding towards him. In his ear, he hears the tiny buzzing voice of the mosquito he saved earlier, who says, you saved my ass, buddy, now I'm saving yours, (laughs) basically. Okay. And he's like, okay, the king of the mosquitoes has saved me now. So he takes all of the horses, he leads them back to the cellar, and then he goes in to, you know, tell the Baba and her servant that everything is cool. And the Baba immediately flies into a rage. She's like flipping furniture. She's yelling. She... Getting lice everywhere. Probably. Probably. She starts to beat her servant, who had done nothing wrong, by the way. I was picking lice out of your hair, woman. That's disgusting. <laughs> so gross. So gross. And Fafrumos is like, what's wrong? And the Baba is like, nothing. You did great. I'm thrilled. (laughs) And I just picture like the narrator voice coming in and saying like, but she was not thrilled. But I swear to God, though. The next evening, he goes to take the horses out to graze again, just like he had the night before. And once again, he finds himself really struggling to stay awake. And before he knows it, it's that weird dawnish period where the sun hasn't fully risen and the horses are nowhere to be seen. And he immediately starts to freak out because he knows he's fucked, you know. But just when he's about to give into despair, he sees the horses ride out of the water, like just rising up out of the water because they're seahorses. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I believed it for a second. I was like, wait, what? when did they turn? How much of this am I missing? No, they really are rising out of the sea, but they're not seahorses. I just couldn't resist the pun. Oh <laughs> but God. it's technically true. It is. <laughs> they're in the sea. And as they're riding out, they, they ride towards him. And he hears a tiny voice near the ground. And he sees the king of the crayfish. And the crayfish says, you saved my ass, buddy. Now I'm saving yours. Horses returned. We're square. By the way, just to be clear, the king of the crayfish had led the crayfish, his little army of crayfish, to snap at the heels of the horse to chase them out of the water. Okay. Uh, just to be clear, that's what happened. And so Fofrumos is like, thanks, buddy. And he leads all of the horses back and puts them away. And then he goes in to talk to the Baba and her servant again. And once again, the Baba is furious and she throws a tantrum. She's angry. It's it's basically the same thing as it was last time repeated. She was just as thrilled to see him succeed as she was the last time. <laughs> the poor freaking servant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the poor freaking servant, indeed. So that day, the Baba servant carefully approached him when the Baba was not paying attention. He's like, please, mister, please don't succeed the third day. <laughs> the, the servant is a girl, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> but, oh. Um, the servant whispers in That doesn't change anything. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's horrible either way and he's like i know you're fat for most and it's like how the fuck does everyone know who he is but once again they just know i know you're fat for most don't eat the food that the baba makes for you like don't eat anything that comes from her kitchen she puts sleep root in it and it will make you sleep so you know you'll fail i'll make you something else to eat instead and fat for most is like okay deal let's do it He didn't eat anything that the Baba gave him that day, and that night he took the horses out to graze, and he felt much better. This time, there were no drowsy spells, like, other than what's normal, but he was able to push through everything. He waited until about midnight when the horses seemed to have eaten, and he rounded them up, and he took them back and locked them up the rest of the night. He then entered into the hovel, and he saw the Baba asleep, stiff as a log. He was concerned because of the way she was sleeping she looked very dead 
And he tried to shake her awake because it was a little freaky to watch. And he couldn't wake her up. She was just like really stiff and not out there. And so he starts to freak out. He's like, this woman is in full rigor mortis. She is dead. And he goes and gets the servant girl. And he's like, look, your baba is dead. She died. Your baba died. Well... For the record, that's not me being cheeky. That's actually what he said. That one is as direct of a quote as I can get it. She's dead. Dead. The servant is like, oh, she'd never. She'd never die. She'd never do something that scandalous. Sadly, she just wanders away from her body at night to feed on the souls of the living, which is something very consistent with, like, living Strigoi and other creatures in Romanian mythology that we have talked about in the past, actually. And it's, it's a theme that we see in many cultures in the world where some people who are actually evil spirits can leave their body and wander around at night and cause all sorts of havoc. And so, and so this is what the Baba is doing. She's going around, she's feeding on the souls of the living and that's why you can't wake her up oh so she's not dead right right she's like whenever it gets dark she does this mara 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 it it is this is very much a mara thing but what i was gonna say is like you know when you have a pet bird and you put a blanket over their cage and they like instantly fall asleep because they think it's night yes the the baba is the same way as soon as it gets dark she's out Put a sack over the Baba's head. The servant then says, like, well, tomorrow your year of service is over because, you know, it's been three days and this is how years work when you're a crazy Baba. So when you leave, please take me with you. I might be able to help you evade the traps that she has planned for you. Plus, this gig really sucks and I want out. I do not want to pick lice anymore. (laughs) And, And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take you with me. And so she goes to this old battered chest and she takes out a knife a brush, and a scarf. And she hands these three items to him and says, like, hold on to them and we'll use them tomorrow and we'll escape the Baba. The next morning, Fofromos was supposed to choose his horse, right? Because he had succeeded in doing his three days of protecting the horses. While they ate lunch, the Baba went to the cellar and she took the hearts from all of the beautiful, healthy-looking horses, and they, she put them into one horse that was so skinny that you could count his ribs. And, you know, he just was the worst-looking horse. Which, again, is another very common theme, the Kalunazdravan. Just like we saw in Yonkranga's tale of Harapalb, the horse that was, like, really skinny and ill-looking and the ugliest one, that's the one that is the magic one. This is Kalunizdravan, the magical horse that you so often see in Romanian folklore that can talk and perform miracles and fly. This is another repetition of a very important theme to Romanian folklore. Yeah, yeah. So he's got to pick the horse that looks the worst. Yeah. When Fofromos enters to choose his horse, there were six beautiful, handsome, shiny, tall horses standing before him, and then one scraggly, ill-looking horse sitting on a pile of manure in the corner. He looks, and immediately he points at the scraggly one, and he's like, that one. I want the one sleeping in shit. (laughs) And the Baba's like, are you sure? You've done so much. I don't want your work to be in vain. You deserve a good reward. Maybe take one of the handsome horses. I want that one. It's like, no, I want the shit horse. (laughs) I like shit horses. (laughs) I like shit horses. The Baba's like... Me adopting Poe from the shelter. (laughs) Poor Poe. He's better now. I want the shit cat. (laughs) He's so much healthier now, though, so it's good. Fine. Will the horse be healthier? Well, that would be telling. You're going to have to wait. Okay. The Baba gets really mad at that point, and she's like, fine, take your stupid horse. And she, like, stomps off. (laughs) <laughs> all angry. See if I care, you know? Mm-hmm. Fromos immediately mounts the horse and he's like, we gotta go. We gotta go. So they take off galloping like the wind into the forest where he was supposed to meet the servant. He finds her there, pulls her up on the horse and they book it. They take off and they get going as fast as they possibly can to try and escape. Okay. So they're riding and as they're going, the servant is like, my back is hot. And Fopfromos is like, what? So he looks behind them to see what's going on. And he sees this huge green whirlwind closing in on their tail. And from within the whirlwind, he sees two fiery red eyes staring at them, shooting like little rays into the poor servant girl's back. Oh no. And the servant girl says, throw the brush. So 
Fatfromos doesn't really question this. He doesn't question how the brush is supposed to help. He just grabs it and he chucks it in the general direction of the tornado. And from the brush springs up this huge, glorious forest of tall, tall trees. And when the tornado hits the trees, it kind of breaks up. Yeah. The horse began to, to fly faster and faster to escape the angry Baba. While they're going, the servant says, my back is hotter. And so Fopfromos looks behind them again and sees a huge gray owl whose red eyes were shooting lightning into the girl's back. Very, very frightening. <laughs> Thunderbolt of lightning. Very, very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you did that on purpose, but it was beautiful. I love it. I did. I did say it on purpose. <laughs> they, thank you for a little Freddie Mercury moment. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. So she's like, throw the knife. So he throws the knife and from it springs this giant of stone blocking the entire path for the owl. It's huge. It reaches up to the clouds. And I don't know why, but for some reason, the owl doesn't seem able to go around it. So it stops the owl (laughs) and the horse begins to fly even faster than any of them thought had been possible. The ground was just a blur underneath them. And then the servant girl is like, my back is even hotter. Fafrumos looks behind again and he sees that the old Baba has bored a tunnel through the stone and was passing through it as a rope of smoke. One end was smoldering red and focused on the girl. Okay. And the girl is like, throw the scarf. So Fafrumos takes the scarf and he chucks it at the owl and it turns into a large silver lake which fell to the earth taking the Baba with it. Fopfromos sees her in the water begin to struggle. She's trying to swim to shore. You know, she's Baba. It's not easy for her old bones, but she's kind of making it. You know, like she's not drowning. She is swimming towards the shore. And so obviously it's not over yet. And so he's like, what do we do now? I've used all three of my magical items and the Baba is still alive and coming at us. So what do we do? And as he's going, he sees the embodiment of night itself flying by on bronze wings. It had not yet descended because it was still daytime. And it was just kind of high up in the sky still, slowly thinking about descending, you know, because it was getting closer to evening. Okay. But Fromos is like, I got this. I know what to do. So he takes his boozdagan, the mace, right? The big mace that he carries around. Okay, okay. And he hurls it at the embodiment of darkness of the night and hits it in its bronze wings and it fell swiftly to the earth and all the land was covered in night okay okay so there's a little bit of like fairy tale logic for you it's exactly this kind of like absurdity that i i love like it's just the embodiment of night passing by on bronze wings like don't think about it don't worry about it and also the fact that the year ended in three days don't think about that i'm still thinking about it but you don't listen it's baba logic it's baba logic don't question it Immediately, as soon as the night falls, Mm. the Baba goes into her little trance-like state and sinks directly to the bottom of the lake. Her soul tries to escape to the surface, but it can't quite make it, so it turns into this dark weed in the lake. And at that point, that's problem solved. (laughs) Okay. The servant is like, we're safe now. No. The seven-hearted horse replies, yes, we are, but also we're not. Master, you hit the darkness of night and caused it to fall two hours earlier than normal, and I can feel the sand shaking. The skeletons of the desert will soon rise and climb up to the moon's castle in the clouds to attend the feast that the moon holds up in his, like, fancy castle up there in the clouds. I don't know if he has something other than, like, fruit that's made out of gemstones. I was thinking that. I was thinking, like, (laughs) does he feed people gem food as well? Hopefully not. Hopefully he has, like, something actually worth eating. But on the other hand, if he's hosting a bunch of skeletons, what do you feed skeletons? It's not like they eat anyway, so... Feed them a lot of dairy... Sometimes salmon, eggs, vitamin D and calcium work hand in hand, so. Yes, but how do they absorb them into their bones? They don't have a digestive tract. I guess they just rub them all over their faces. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting thought. (laughs) 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 I I just pictured that and it's it's something. (laughs) It's, I don't know what it is, fam, but it's something. 
And he's like, all of these skeletons are going to start rising up, and it's really dangerous to be out here. The venomous air of dead souls could kill you. So you need to settle down for the night, chill, and just go to sleep. Just go to sleep and you'll be okay. But guess what he does? <laughs> Do you want to guess? Because I know. I'm not going to guess. <laughs> I'm not going to guess either because I feel like I also know. He's not going to settle down. That's just, that's what I know. Well. But I'm sure he didn't do it. It's, it's somewhere in between, right? The seven-hearted horse is like, go to sleep. I'll return to my mother to drink her milk so that I can be handsome and shiny again. And then I'll return to you while you're sleeping here to like avoid the evil death skeletons. So Fofromos is like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. He lays down his cloak, just like we talked about, his winter coat, on the ground to go to sleep. The servant girl had gone pale and thin, and her body was cold, and her skin was gray, and she did not look right. She was shaking horribly as she lay down on the cloak beside him. And Fofromos is like, what's wrong? The servant's like, nothing, nothing, it's fine, it's good. And he decided not to press the matter. He lay down and he closed his eyes. But he did not fall asleep. Instead, he kind of peeked a little bit, as one does. He did what kids do, <laughs> where you kind of pretend you're asleep, but you're kind of like secretly trying to watch as much as you can. Yes. And it's always so obvious. It really is, though. But I guess skeletons don't notice that kind of thing because... So this moon started to grow closer and closer and closer and it grew brighter until he could see the glimmering walls of the palace there and a path of silver pebbles and moon dust that led to the ground. From the sand, the skeletons began to rise, their white bones ascending from the sand, and the tattered remains of the clothes that they once wore, some in the silvery clothes of moonbeams, and they start taking the path. Some of them rose up with entire horse skeletons and rode the path up to the moon's palace. As this is happening, the servant girl also rose up, the flesh evaporating from her body as she too became nothing but bones in a glimmering robe of silver, and she returned to the pebble path to the moon that she had left long ago, from which she had been lured away by the Baba's deceptive spells. And when next he opened his eyes, the sun was fully in the sky, the girl well and truly gone, so it was not just a dream, and his glimmering beautiful black horse was neighing beside him, taking in the rays of the risen sun for the first time in its entire life. Fofromos is a very focused individual. It's like these crazy things happen and he's immediately like, I remember what I was doing, let's get right back to it. I think like after some of these things, I'd be like, I'm a little distracted, I just need a minute. Yeah. He's not like that. He's like, let's get back to the citadel. So he hops on the horse and he's like, let's head back. And he returned to the hunter's citadel where the hunter's daughter was waiting. Her father was seven days travel away this time. And he's like, perfect. I got a magic horse. He's further away than he's ever been. Let's do it. It'll be fine. Yep. But it was not fine. So the two mount on and rode off so fast. The ground was nothing but a blur. Like they just like were booking up with the magic horse this time. So extra, extra fast. Like the equivalent of like nitro, but with a horse. Yes. Far behind them, they heard the cat meow. And far away in the woods, the hunter's horse neighed and he's like dude Fofromos is abducting your daughter and the hunter is like can we catch them and the horse is like no he's fleeing on one of my brothers who has seven hearts and I only have two so I'm not gonna be able to catch up okay and the hunter is like well let's try anyway so he hops on the magic horse and he starts going after Fofromos and his daughter he's like tell your brother because you guys are related and you can just magically talk to each other tell your brother if he throws his master to the ground i'll give him nuts and let him drink sweet milk and so his horse told Fofromos's horse this whole message and Fofromos's horse was more of a loyalist and he wasn't really into this kind of stuff anyway and so he he tells Fofromos exactly what the horse said and Fofromos is like well that's rude tell your brother that if he throws his master to the clouds i'll give him embers to eat and let him drink the flames of fire and this just shows that Fofromos understands these horses better than the hunter does. Because if you remember from Harapalb, this is what Harapalb had to feed the horse in order to restore its strength is embers. Oh. Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I called it a phoenix horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When Fofromos' horse tells the hunter's horse this, the hunter's horse is like, deal. 
Gotcha. And he immediately just yeets his master to the clouds, kicks him off. The hunter gets booted up into the clouds, and he was exiled into the kingdom of the air. So he didn't turn into ash. Right. So, because the hunter, as much as he is kind of like an antagonist in this... I didn't think he deserved to die. Like, exactly. I don't, I think he was just trying to protect his daughter. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, like he seems kind of strict and intense, but at the same time, he's trying to protect his daughter. And earlier on, it says like, you know, the first time Fofrumos ticked him off, he did nothing because he's like, his Christianity restrained him. Like he's, he's trying to be a good man, you know? So he's not a terrible person. Yeah. He's just exiled to the kingdom of the air now. I guess he's going to go feast with the moon in his castle and hopefully there's something other than food made out of gems. gems. <laughs> At this point, they're like, Woo, we're okay now. And they begin to just head right back to the emperor's palace in the middle of the lake, right? Okay. So they're heading back. It takes a little bit, but when they arrive, everyone is excited. The entire island is filled with joy. People had assumed that Fofrumos was dead because he'd been gone so long, but here he was showing up looking alive and well. I do kind of wonder how long he was a river. We're not told, but long enough for people to assume he was dead, I guess. (laughs) Fair, but the emperor obviously didn't give two shits. Well, I think he was sad. He's always sad that means nothing that's like saying that i would be dramatic if something bad happened it's true (laughs) it means nothing you, you've you've laid out some nothing. solid logic there. <laughs> <laughs> they arrive there. Everyone's happy. They start preparing a big feast. So we cut back to poor Ileana, who had promised that she was going to be crying this whole time, or threatened, promised or threatened, take it how you will. In her grief, she had locked herself in a wall of iron in the garden all by herself, where she sat on the stone crying into a golden bowl. I don't know what purpose that served, but she needed to grieve, I guess. Her bowl was now filled to the brim with her tears, and the garden around her had grown pale with neglect. Her eyes had become so dry from crying that her vision was gone. Like, girl, there is a point where you have to move on. There are other men out there, Ileana. (laughs) But he's so pretty, Fern. What's wrong with you? It's true. He's very pretty. He's pretty. He's the prettiest of them all. Fofrumos is indeed the fairest of them all. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, so she's been crying. She's upset. She's upset. You know, they come in, they tell her like, he's back, he's back. And so she immediately stops crying and she brightens up and becomes happy immediately. And I guess her first thought is like, well, better revive the flowers. So she takes some of the water from her bowl of tears and she gives it to the flowers and they immediately spring to life and revive and become beautiful again. Yay! The flowers that she just revived, in English, they are lilies of the valley. In Romanian... I've been talking too long and I can't talk anymore. They are lacrimioare, which is a name that's kind of built off of the word lacrima, which means tears. And um, so they're like, this is where they get that name because they were baptized in the tears of Ileana's pain. And then she gathers some of the flowers to give to Fofromos. When he entered the garden, she throws her arms around him and wants to take in the sight of him, but she cannot because she is blind. She leads him to the bowl of her tears and says, look, I promised you I'd be crying the whole time. And you can see I did. Here is a golden bowl he's like, oh, full oh. of tears. And so, Okay, I just, I, I have to know, like, what would you do? <laughs> like, I'm not one to get weirded out by people expressing emotions. I would just, I feel like I would just feel really guilty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But also, that's kind of manipulative and dramatic. See, it would go in phases. Like, at first, I would feel guilty, and then I would get kind of angry. Like, why? Why are you putting this on me? Like, I told you I was leaving. Why didn't you just leave? What would you do? I'd be creeped out. If someone is that obsessed with you, then it just makes you afraid of, like, what else is going to happen. Like, is this going to be, like, a creepy stalker? That would be my reaction. Fair. He's touched, I guess. (laughs) Aw, someone's obsessed with me? What? This is like an overdramatic interpretation of femininity, in my opinion, because he's like, she is a faithful woman, which, which is what we're supposed to take from this, the the fidelity of Ileana Sinziana, because she has just been in this garden crying the whole time, missing her man, not even thinking about doing anything else, because she is 
loyal. And it's like, maybe you've taken this a little too far because part of what life is, is being able to pick ourselves up from difficult situations and continue on. We are all paralyzed with emotion sometimes, but you can't live in that state. You know, like you have to continue on. And so I think that him promoting this is like, look at what an amazing woman Ileana is, how pure and perfect and loyal she is because all she did was cry in a garden the entire time. I think it's too far. I think it's toxic messaging. I think we should be more like, okay, Ileana did miss him and she was loyal, but she was also out doing something productive with her life, maybe working on a career or... But Fern, what would a woman even do out in the open? It's not like women can do stuff. (laughs) Back in that day, I think it would be very hard for a woman to build a career. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that's a fair point. Women in that position have still found productive things to do, like maybe charity work or artistic endeavors, not just sit there in a garden of flowers and cry until your man comes home. Anyway, they kneel down by her bowl of tears and he bathes her eyes in her tears Mm -hmm. and he lays down his coat on the ground and the two of them lay down and go to sleep together under the night sky. I don't know what it is he has Mm -hmm. about sleeping in the garden and not in the palace, but this man does not seem to want to sleep in that palace. Maybe it smells, maybe it's too sad. (laughs) He's like looking at all of the gemstone fruit makes me, food makes me hungry and there's nothing to eat in there. (laughs) So stay out here where I don't have to think about it. So while they sleep, she dreams a dream that the Virgin Mary, who's making her second appearance here, took two gray blue stars from the morning sky and lay them on her forehead. And she woke up in the morning she could see. On the third day, the emperor married the hunter's daughter. And on the fourth day, Mm -hmm. Fofromos was to marry Ileana. And things get a little hyperbolic. It's like all of nature includes together to create this perfect wedding. And, you know, like the butterflies are sending Ileana dreams about how to make the perfect wedding dress. And, you know, everything comes together in this epic wedding that is the most beautiful wedding that has ever been and will ever be and it's like you thought the kardashian wedding was great you thought the royal wedding was great check this out (laughs) they lived in peace and harmony if what's said of fotfromos and his kind is true they may still be alive today that is the happy conclusion to the story they all live happily ever after as rich nobles in palaces (laughs) Yay. yay yay Anyway, what are your thoughts? From a story aspect, I actually really enjoyed it. Like, you know what? Just like putting all of the politics aside for a second, I just thought I love weird fiction. Uh That's the whole point of me being in this podcast. And I feel like it had a lot of elements of that, which is one one of the elements that I've always really enjoyed was the cognitive Uh dissonance, which is that we, as readers, when we read this, we see that, wait, why are they reacting this way? Why are they, why is no one, you know, reacting in a crazy way to the crazy crazy Uh things that are happening? So the fact that they just accept magic, they accept when logic makes absolutely no sense, they accept that their Uh world is just bizarre, and they, I really enjoy that because they always react in ways you can't really predict. And I also like the characterization, like he's just so chill. He's just so like, oh, like the minute he comes back to life after dying, he's just like, oh yeah, right. So I had these unfinished tasks that I need to get back to. Doesn't even take a minute to like mourn or like consider what happened or be like, oh, maybe I should, you know, make better decisions, choose better friends. Just like, nope, no, I made a promise to this friend. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fulfill that promise. Goes through hell. We're going to go ahead and call it there. And Crow, where can they find us? So if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to give us a follow because we're available on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you really enjoyed this episode, feel free to give us a review because we would love to hear what you think. We're also available on social media like Twitter. I I forget our social media. What was it? It was was Twitter. It was Instagram. More recently, Tumblr. And we have a Gmail if you want to tell us about the crazy happenings in your life. But until then, this is Crow and... This is Fern. Signing off. Bye.